So uh, someone who Molly and I have been talking about, reading about recently is, is Brian Stevenson. And some of you might be familiar with who uh, Brian is. Uh, he's a famous uh, attorney and author who speaks quite a bit about racial reconciliation and, and a lot of those related themes. And for a while, uh, I had only read snippets of his book. I had heard Molly talk about him, uh, seen a couple YouTube videos here and there, uh, you know, kind of these sort of peripheral encounters with Mr. Stevenson. Uh, but, oh, and we even went down to Alabama, uh, which is where he practices, and we were able to tour a museum that, that he made down there, or that, that he and his firm uh, constructed, which was really, really cool. It was a moving, powerful experience. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. But finally, and I, I forget when this was, a couple months ago, right? November. Yes, that was a couple months. December is just kind of one big blur, so I've kind of lost track of time <laughs> and everything. But yes, a couple months ago, we were able to hear him speak. And this was an amazing experience. He is such a good speaker. It was really fun to hear him. He made very powerful, convicting points, lots of stories from his own personal life. Um, and the stories were very um, just emotionally packed and, and, like I said, very powerful. Now, he's also a very controversial dude, right? You, you can't talk about rec rec racial reconciliation these days without stirring up some uncomfortable thoughts and having some uncomfortable feelings. Um, so in addition to the excitement, there was also a little bit of uncomfortableness uh, that was kind of, or discomfort that was floating around in my own heart and in the hearts of others. Well, right now we are in the season of Epiphany. And the season of Epiphany is about the light of Christ going out to the nations. And I've been inviting you uh, to come to, to alongside, shoulder to shoulder with me, to look at the scriptures and to rediscover who Jesus Christ is. And we have been hearing from a lot of peripheral conversations about who Jesus is. We've heard from the Magi, right, who came and they, they peered into the manger and, and poured out their worship upon the Christ child. We heard from John the Baptist who points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then last week we heard from Mary, right, who points to the servants at the, at the wedding at Cana and says, Do whatever this guy says. Do whatever he says. Well, each of these figures are, have been inviting us to rediscover Christ. And today, today we get to hear from Jesus himself. Now our attention turns to what Messiah actually has to say for himself. And this, friends, is an electrifying experience, right? Because when Jesus speaks, as we saw in our scriptures, all the eyes are absolutely transfixed on him. There is power when this man speaks. There is authority when this man speaks. It's as if the whole room is utterly silent, waiting to hear what he's going to say next. And just like me and kind of the crowd hearing Brian talk, there's some things that we hear that Jesus says that are fun and exciting and encouraging, and then there's some things that make us squirm in our seats a little bit and maybe gives us sweaty palms and whatnot. Um, so before we actually dive into this text, I, I do want to make a little um, maybe nerdy aside and talk a little bit about our Anglican tradition, if, if that's okay. Uh, so what you might, some of you uh, are probably familiar with this, but in the Anglican tradition and a lot of other traditions, our Sunday scripture readings come from a three-year lectionary cycle. It's an A year, a B year, and a C year. And this year we're in year uh, C, which, the gospel re which uh, contains gospel readings from Luke. 
And so last year was a B year. I can tell you all are very fascinated by this. Last year was a B year, which most of our stories came from the Gospel of Mark, you might recall. But this year we're in Luke. And that doesn't mean that every single Sunday we're going to preach from the Gospel text. Uh, We do like to mix it up quite a bit about that. But you'll notice that a lot of the Old Testament and epistle readings will kind of complement the theme from that Gospel reading. So again, a lot of people have been asking about that. Some people haven't. Hopefully that's been helpful. We can put that on a shelf now. But let's turn back to uh, the gospel reading. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn uh, to Luke chapter 4, or obviously it's in your order of service as well. So earlier in this passage, which if you have your Bibles with you, you'll see this. Um, A couple pages earlier, you'll see that Jesus had just been baptized in the River Jordan by John. And then immediately before this passage, Luke chapter chapter 4 from 1 through 13 That's the story of Jesus being taken out into the wilderness and tempted by the devil. And there we see that Jesus wins that battle over the devil. Well, now Jesus is back in his hometown of Nazareth, right? And so as you can imagine, this famous teacher, and we read that he's he's gaining fame, but now he's back in his hometown. And people are saying, oh, this is Joseph's son. This is the guy who repaired my bench, you know, a couple years ago. And now he's a famous teacher, you know, and, and so they're just mystified by this, kind of blown away by this, and extremely curious about what he's going to say. So as was the tradition, when a famous preacher comes to town, you invite him to speak uh, in the synagogue. And so just like we have our liturgical readings that are assigned, so did the ancient Jewish people. And on this particular Sunday, it was a, a reading from Isaiah. So Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah, and then he picks out what we read today in verses 18 and 19 of the passage from Luke. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus picks this passage. He could have picked any passage from, the, from Isaiah. He could have picked passages uh, that talk about God returning and wiping out all of the enemies, right? But Jesus didn't pick that passage, did he? He also could have picked passages that tell about the suffering servant uh, that Messiah was going to be. But Jesus didn't pick that passage, did he? No, instead, he picks this one. Jesus chooses this passage that we read this morning to be his mission statement, to describe what the theme of his ministry is going to be like. And we see that throughout the pages of the book of Luke. So this is what I would like for us to look at this morning. I want us to look at this passage um, that has been uh, quoted by Jesus that comes from Isaiah. And so maybe you're coming here this morning and you're kind of sniffing out this whole Christianity thing. You know, maybe some friends have invited you to church today. Um, Maybe you just found us through the website. I don't know. But maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, what is Jesus all about anyway? Why have people been obsessed with Jesus for 2,000 years? Why is it that people would come into a community center when it's negative six degrees outside to learn more about Jesus on a Sunday morning when you could be out playing hockey for, you know, or something else like that, right? So what is Jesus all about? Well, look here at this passage. Look here in Luke's gospel in the middle of chapter 4. So there are three declarations that I want to pull out from this Isaiah um, quotation that we have. Three declarations about Jesus' ministry. Three things that speak to his, his, his theme, his values. Uh, in fact, just like restoration, just like we have five values, you can read them on the front of our bulletin, you can go to our website. 
These values kind of describe the charisma of our church. It kind of describes how we see um, the gospel intersecting with, with our neighborhood. Well, here, Jesus is doing the same thing. This is his mission statement, sort of sending the theme for the rest of the story. So let's, let's turn to these, to these three declarations. So the first declaration is that Jesus declares that his ministry is anointed by the Holy Spirit. That it is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Friends, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit equips men and women for leadership. The Holy Spirit brings revelation and teaching to his beloved people. And the prophets say that God's Spirit will rest upon the Messiah in a way in which it has not been done yet ever before. That, it will rest, that the Holy Spirit will rest upon the Messiah. And this is the theme that Luke picks up. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus goes to the wilderness, right? In which he defeats the devil at that moment. And then even this passage, you can glance up at verse 14, and you see that Jesus is is drawn to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And we see that throughout the book of Luke where Jesus is constantly going from place to place, being led by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit sets Jesus' vector and velocity of his mission. Jesus never goes rogue. He never does his own thing. Every single step that Jesus takes has been prepared by the Father and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. The second declaration is this. Jesus declares freedom for the oppressed. Jesus declares freedom for the oppressed. You see, when the Son of God arrives on the scene, he is laser-focused on rescuing men and women out of bondage. He frees them. And did you catch the four statements of the rescue mission that, were, that are in this passage? I was very tempted for each one of these to be its own declaration but I told Molly, I was like, that's going to turn into a 90-minute sermon. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but they, they deserve to speak on their own. We're going we're gonna to bundle them all up as to one. But there we see that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind and liberating the oppressed. Friends, what Jesus says here, he does over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Luke makes me think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, right? When he encounters Christ, what happens? He feels compelled to give away half of his possessions and repay anybody who he has exhorted money from, uh, from his practice. That is good news to the poor in that community, right? If Zacchaeus is in your town and you hear that he's doing that, that is good news for you. You want to get in on that, right? Also makes me think of the demoniac, uh, the garrison demoniac, who we'll read about later. This is a man who had been chained by his villagers because he is so harmful, so violent. He cuts himself with stones. He's filled with demons, and he lives among the tombs, absolutely enchained and held captive by many, many demons. And then Jesus comes to town. And with one word, the whole army of of demons that are inside of this man flee out of him, and the captive is set free. He's absolutely transformed, and it strikes fear into the village. They're like, who is this man, right? Jesus sets the captives free. And we can also talk about healing 
after healing after healing that happens when Jesus comes to town. He heals the blind. He heals the lepers. He heals the lame and the crippled. Over and over again, Jesus reaches out and he touches people who are broken. He befriends them. He recovers their health and he restores their dignity. That is what our Christ does. You see, friends, Jesus is ushering in a new reality. His proclamation of good news brings hoarding and corruption to an end. The poor are fed and the captives are set free. That is the second declaration. The third declaration is that this is the year of the Lord's favor. So this is, is not a phrase to be glanced over lightly. The year of the Lord's favor, some of you uh, Old Testament nerds might know this, but the year of the Lord's favor is a reference to that year of jubilee that would happen once every 50 years. Now this would be an exciting time in which all debts were forgiven. The land was given a rest, right? Um, all the rights or all the wrongs that had taken place throughout the villages and throughout the nation would be set right again. And Jesus says, this is finally happening now. And that's a big deal. Because if you look, if you talk to some scholars and stuff, they'll say that the year of Jubilee, it's pretty debated that it, it may not have even ever happened. There's no evidence of that. Every 50 years, maybe it would come around and they'd say, we can't do that this year. And so Jesus says, guess what? It's happening right now. This year of Jubilee that we had talked about a long time ago, now it's finally happening. Now, for those of us who've read the story, we know how Luke goes. We know how the story ends, right? We know that there is a day in which Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is lifted high upon a cross. And he takes upon himself the curse of humanity, the sins of the world, and he dies in our stead. And by his death, we are offered the free gift of forgiveness of sins. The reconciliation of all things happens through Jesus' sacrifice. All of our debts are cleared. It is the year of Jubilee. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, this is the year of the Lord's favor. What kind of God is this, right? Like what kind of, what kind of who among us could, could invent this kind of idea, this kind of largeness, this kind of mission, right? In fact, I don't know about you, but when I, when I look around the world, and I kind of think about all the spiritualities that are, that are floating around out there. And unfortunately, you, you kind of see some of this stuff creep into some corners of Christianity here and there. I, I see systems and gods and, and religious structures that, that are a little lacking in some ways. A lot lacking, actually. I see violent fundamentalism, right? That is disconnected from God's heart for the healing. I see some mystical detachment that happens which ignores the very real addictions and wounds that we carry along with us. It ignores the imprisonment that is within our communities. And I see sometimes this ideological social justice campaigns that go on. These, these ideologies that forget the realities of spiritual sin and the reality of a need for forgiveness, right? You see, each one of these are completely lacking. But look at the ministry of Christ. Look what he says about his own ministry, what he came to do. Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He frees the oppressed and he forgives sinners. 
this is a savior that I need in my life, right? None of those other systems scratch all the itches. Jesus is the, the full and complete meal. He's the whole deal, right? And he's a savior that not just that I need, but that you need. And that our whole world, our communities need as well. So there's another fun little uh, thing that I love about Luke's gospel. It's the only gospel that has a sequel to it. Did you know that? It's the only gospel that has a sequel. And we call that sequel the book of Acts, right? It's the Acts of the Apostles. And this is, uh, Luke also wrote that. Uh, And what's really, really fun about the gospel of Luke and then the Acts of the Apostles is if you read both of them closely, there's lots of little connections and parallel stories between them. Uh, it's, It's a really, really fun thing to notice. In fact, this passage that we read, it also has a parallel to the book of Acts also. So here, Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, setting the tone for his ministry. Well, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, you see Peter stand up and preach, and he quotes from the prophet Joel, which again sets the tone for the entire ministry, or for the entire book of Acts. And the message that we pick up from this, what Luke is doing as he makes these parallel stories, is he's saying that just as Jesus is anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, so is the church. Just as Jesus is, so is the church. In fact, if we were to look at that Joel reading, which I'll read to you, listen to this. Joel says this, which Peter quotes. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you you see how the spirit comes upon Jesus, and now it's coming upon the church, right? And this isn't something that's just invented by Luke. This isn't just his whole idea. If you read the entire New Testament, this is the theme of every single one of the authors. In fact, we already heard this. That baby's really stinking cute, by the way. (laughs) I'm seeing eyeballs turn to baby Walter right now. It's hard to compete with that adorableness, right? And the gift of life. Thank you. So, like I was saying, you know, we see the Spirit being poured into the church. This is the theme of the entire New Testament. And we already encountered that from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. What Paul says is this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of his body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit... We are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. You see, friends, in our baptism, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit and grafted into Christ's body and his ministry. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus read this statement in Nazareth. And the fun thing is his mission hasn't changed since. His mission has not let up since. We now... The baptized body of Christ, the anointed body of Christ, are invited to enter into this same ministry. And I don't mean any disrespect to some other uh, Christian traditions that are out there. But there's, there's some traditions out there that teach that baptism is like the pinnacle. It's the climax of the Christian experience, right? Maybe some of you have, have experienced some of this. And the message is kind of like once you're baptized, you know, you're, you're set. You just kind of hang out until Christ comes back again or you die, right? Which is kind of boring. But that's not what we see here. What we see here is that baptism is just the beginning. It's the launch pad of the Christian life. 
You want to know what the church is supposed to be doing? You want to know what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian? Look to this passage. Look to this passage from Isaiah. We are invited to participate with Christ in his mission. This isn't just his mission statement. This is our mission statement as well. So one of my spiritual fathers, uh, he would always say to us, he would gather us seminarians together, and he would look us in the eyes, and he was this old World War II guy, so it was pretty terrifying when he would do this. But he would look us in the eyes, and he'd say, men, it's time to strap on your steel-toed boots. We're going to go kick in the gates of hell and liberate the oppressed souls out there. And we'd all sit up straight in our chairs, you know, it was absolutely terrifying. But it was so true, right? We are supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to go out into the communities and liberate those oppressed souls. That's why we plant churches and community centers. We want to be in the middle of the community, able to reach out to our neighbors and invite them here to church, right? So who among us is oppressed and held captive? Who among us is being told you're not good enough or you're being held captive by lies? Who's being told that you're not smart enough or you're not pretty enough or you're too old or you're too young? Who's being told that you're damaged goods or you're only as good as the favors that you can perform for people? Because friends, Christ comes to set us free. We are living in the year of Jubilee, right? And as members of his body, it is our job as the baptized members of his body to go out and proclaim this good news to our neighbors, to our cities, to ourselves as well. So may our invitation be to come, to come and be a part of this community who is transformed by the mission of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.